In the ancient chronicles of Norse history, the Skoljunda saga and the Inglinga saga highlight the ancient origins of Odin the Allfather. Hailing from the distant realms of Scythia in Asia, he embarked on a gruesome conquest of northern Europe, leaving in his wake a trail of blood-soaked triumph. With a fierce determination that mirrored the chilling winds of distant lands, Odin would take the whole of the north. He gave the land of Sweden to his valiant son Ingvi, while Denmark fell under dominion of his other son. As the sun dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows upon the conquered lands, the echoes of Odin's conquest would last for a thousand years. From that crimson-stained era emerged the dynasties of Sweden, forever known as the Inglings, their names whispered with a mixture of awe and dread. Similarly, the rulers of Denmark claimed the lineage from the indomitable Skoljur, forging a legacy bathed in the blood of conquest and marked by the ruthless rule of their forefathers. Thus, the saga of Odin's brutal campaign etched itself into the annals of Norse history, where the Inglings carried with them the weight of a dark and savage past. Ragnar Lothbrok, descended from this mighty god of war, would let it be known that he was a descendant of Odin, with the same blood running through his veins. Ragnar was from the house of the Inglings, founded by the son of Odin, Ingvi, a mythical king of Sweden. This is the story of Ragnar's bloodline and his divine descent. I would like to thank the sponsor for today's video, MyHeritage. MyHeritage is the leading global service for family history, research and DNA testing. It's also the number one ranked family history service in Europe. In my case, I virtually knew nothing of my Mexican ancestry. However, through my heritage, it made it easy to delve deep into my ancestral roots. So there is a whole new branch of my family tree that I need to research. This is my Mexican grandmother Estella, and with my heritage, you can upload photos, colorize them, enhance them, and even bring them to life by animating them. There are over 19 billion historical documents on MyHeritage, so no matter how mysterious your roots are, there's always something to find. So sign up for a 14-day free trial and enjoy all the amazing features of MyHeritage. If you decide to continue your subscription, History Profile viewers will get a 50% discount. So click the link in the description now. In the rich tapestry of Norse mythology, Ingvi is the founder of the Ingling lineage, a fabled dynasty of Swedish kings. From this illustrious line, the earliest historical Norse kings proudly assert their descent. Ingvi, a name synonymous with the god Freyr, carries a profound significance, perhaps representing Freyr's true name. According to Snorri Sturluson, once Ingvi took control of the Kingdom of Sweden, he built a great temple at Uppsala and made it his chief seat. Thus began the Uppsala domains. Good seasons would bless the land, and Ingvi or Freyr would be worshipped more than other gods. 
Due to this, the people of Sweden became much richer. One day, however, the king would fall into a sickness and was buried in a great mound. When it became known to the Swedes that Freya or Ingvi was dead, good seasons would continue. The people of Sweden believed that as long as Freya remained in Sweden, that good seasons would continue. So they would not burn his remains, but would call him the god of this world. And afterwards, they continuously offered blood sacrifices to him, principally for peace and good seasons. Freyr, or as he is known in other sources as Ingvi, had a son named Fjolnir, who succeeded him as king, and ruled during a continuous period of peace and good seasons. Fjolnir, a figure steeped in the mists of Norse mythology, emerges as a legendary king, his lineage tracing back to the divine realms as the proclaimed son of Freyr. In the Norse sagas, Fjolnir's reign intertwines with the illustrious era of Caesar Augustus, the formidable Octavian, whose indomitable spirit birthed the grandeur of the Roman Empire. Fjolnir, a sovereign of might and grace, presided over a realm with splendid crops, and there was much natural beauty in his lands. However, the Ingling saga casts a shadow upon the monarch's fate. During a visitation to Frodi, the fabled king of Zealand, Fjolnir, succumbing to the intoxicating allure of revelry, found himself ensnared in an inebriated haze. The legendary king, consumed by spirits, stumbled into the depths of a vassal laden with the nectar of mead, meeting an untimely demise through the watery abyss. In the wake of this tragic end, the scepter of kingship passed to the hands of his successor, the heir named Swedge, who would carry his legacy forward. After the demise of Fjolnir, Swedge ascended to the throne of Sweden, his heart ablaze with a determination to unravel the enigmatic threads of his ancestry. In a solemn pact, he vowed to embark on a quest, a pilgrimage across lands, seas and realms, to find his ancestor Odin and the fabled abode of the gods, Asgard. With a retinue of twelve of his most valiant and trusted companions, the king would embark on an incredible journey. According to the ancient verses of the Ingling Saga, Swedge would reach the distant lands of Turkland, the land we now know as modern-day Turkey. He would explore the labyrinth landscapes of Eastern Europe, a quest that endured for five years, until the Wanderer King finally returned to Sweden. However, the allure of Asgard, the elusive realm of the gods, continued to elude Swedge's grasp. Fanning the flames of his restless spirit, and undeterred by the passing of years, he resumed his relentless pursuit, driven by an unquenchable thirst for the divine. On his travels, the king stumbled upon a monumental stone, towering like a citadel. 
In him and his men's inebriated state, Swedge and his companions, their senses, heightened by the mystique of the moment, would charge towards this colossal stone. Beneath its looming mass, they discovered a dwarf, an enigmatic figure, seated as if guarding ancient secrets. In a surreal moment, the dwarf, a custodian of arcane portals, opened a door within the colossal stone. His voice resonated through the air, calling out to the king, proclaiming Odin awaited him. Without hesitation, Swedge plunged into the gaping moor of the stone, the door sealing shut behind him. From that moment forward, the king vanished from mortal gaze, lost to the annals of time and legend. Valandi, his son, inherited the mantle of kingship, etching a new chapter in the saga of Sweden's rulership. In the intricate tapestry of Uppsala's reign, Swedge's son, the formidable Valandi, ascended to the throne, wielding the mantle of leadership as a savage, seasoned warrior. Much like his illustrious father, Valandi embarked on odysseys that stretched across vast expanses of distant lands, carving his legacy as a ruler of both might and wanderlust. It was amidst the frost-laden landscapes of Finland that Valandi's fate was intertwined with the enigmatic Snae the Old. Stranded by the unforgiving winter, the king sought refuge in Snae's abode. Valandi found not only shelter, but also love, as he wed Snae's daughter Driva. Yet, as the seasons changed and the thaw of spring heralded new beginnings, Valandi, bound by the wanderer's call, left Driva, behind with a promise of returning in three fleeting years. The king, however, was absent for a decade. In this span, Driva, left alone but not forgotten, had birthed a son named Visbur. The passage of years, like an abrasive wind, fueled the embers of Driva's wrath. Turning to the arcane arts, she sought the services of Huld, a bewitching sorceress, to cast a sinister enchantment upon Valandi. The night fell heavy upon Uppsala, and King Valandi succumbed to a profound sleep. His restless slumber became a nightmarish entanglement, a state of sleep paralysis. In his torment, Valandi cried out, speaking of the malevolent mare treading upon him, a spectre from the shadows of Germanic and Slavic folklore, known to walk upon the chests of sleeping souls. Desperate to aid their king, Valandi's loyal men rushed to his side, but the spectral mare, impervious to mortal intervention, claimed him, extinguishing the flames of his existence. In the sombre aftermath, the Swedes, bearing the weight of grief, claimed Valandi's remains, consigning them to the purifying flames of funeral pyres. From the ashes, a new era emerged, as Visbur, the son of both love and betrayal, stepped forth to inherit the mantle of kingship, etching 
his own destiny in the annals of Uppsala's legacy. In the succession following Valandi's demise, Wiesburg ascended to the throne of Uppsala. His reign, initially marked by opulence and alliances, saw him wed to the daughter of Ulde the Rich, a union sealed with gifts that mirrored his regal stature. Three farms and a gold ornament would be given to his wife, fostering a bond of both wealth and prestige. Visbor and his wife bore fruit to two sons, Gisla and Ond, their lineage intertwined with the promise of prosperity. However, Visbor's lust was insatiable, and this led him to seek another companion, leaving behind his first wife and their two offspring. The abandoned family sought refuge in the sanctuary of Alde the Rich's abode, carrying with them the weight of unfulfilled promises and shattered dreams. Visbur's second marriage bore fruit in the form of a son named Domald, yet within the heart of this newfound family, malevolence took root. The stepmother, harboring resentment, unleashed the dark arts upon Domald, weaving a tapestry of misfortune around the unsuspected child, cursing him to a lifetime of misery. As the years unfolded, Visbur's eldest sons, Gisla and Ond, now twelve, and yearning for their rightful inheritance, approached their father's residence. Their plea for their mother's dower was met with a cold denial from Visbur, further fueling the flames of discontent that simmered within their hearts. In a fit of rage and desperation, Visbur's own sons, consumed by a desire for retribution, set ablaze the house that stood as the symbol of their grievances. In the inferno that engulfed Visbur's dwelling, the king met a fiery demise. From the ashes of destruction, Domald would be his father's successor. In the wake of Visbur's tragic demise, his son Domald ascended to the throne, inheriting not only the mantle of kingship, but also the ominous curse cast upon him by his vengeful stepmother. The shadow of ill luck clung to him, a spectral reminder of familial discord and dark enchantments. Visbur's reign was marked by the spectre of famine, and it cast a shadow over his kingdom. In a desperate bid to appease the insatiable hunger of the earth, the Swedes convened at Uppsala, the sacred site where offerings and sacrifices intertwined with the destiny of the realm. They would sacrifice many oxen and stained the ground with their blood, a solemn plea for respite from the blight that gripped their harvests. However, the subsequent season yielded no relief. The crops would die as a result of a relentless curse. Undeterred, the Swedes, faced with the spectre of worsening fortunes, delved into a darker realm of sacrifice. In the following autumn, the assembly convened in the solemn embrace of a thing, a governing assembly, and they resolved to offer the most grievous of tributes, the lifeblood of men. 
However, the sacrifice of men still produced no good outcome, and the following year was worse, with starvation now driving the Swedes mad with pain and grief. Out of options, and with a heavy heart, the chiefs decreed that the king, Domald, must be the sacrificial offering. The ground, once trodden by the sovereign's footsteps, now bore witness to the tribute of royal blood. The statues of the gods, guardians of prosperity, were anointed with the essence of sacrifice. A chilling silence fell over Uppsala once the deed was done. Yet in the aftermath of this dark communion, a transformative energy unfolded. The land, once gripped by famine's icy fingers, was no more. The statues were bathed in the lifeblood of the king, and they resonated with a divine accord, as if answering the pleas of the desperate. The bountiful harvests returned, heralding a season of rejuvenation, born from the tragic sacrifice of a king, and the unspoken pact between mortals and the divine. The curse of Domald was finally over, and the crops would grow to feed the masses. Following the sombre chapter of Domald's sacrificial fate, his son Domar ascended to the throne, inheriting a realm cloaked in the echoes of ancestral rituals and the promise of renewal. Domar's rule unfolded across a tapestry of time, marked by an enduring legacy that reached beyond the haunting shadows of the past. In the annals of Domar's reign, the land bore witness to an era characterized by the benevolence of seasons and the tranquility of peace. Though the pages of history provide sparse details about his governance, one enduring truth emerges. Domar, unlike his ill-fated forebears, met his end in the quiet embrace of his bed. As the flame of his life flickered away, Domar's mortal remains were consigned to the pyre, where the hungry tongues of fire carried his essence to the heavens. In the annals of Uppsala's sovereignty, Dingvi, the son of Domar, ascended to the throne, inheriting the regal mantle with a legacy steeped in the enigmatic tapestry of Norse mythology. Yet, the details of Dingvi's rule remain veiled in the shadows of historic silence, a chapter of governance obscured by the mists of time. The very fabric of Norse mythology weaves a mysterious narrative around Dingvi's fate. Upon closing the act of his mortal existence, he transitioned into an otherworldly existence, becoming an unconventional consort in the realm of Hell, the subterranean dominion presided over by the enigmatic female being, Hell herself, a figure both feared and revered. Hell is not only the mistress of the underworld, but also the daughter of Loki, a complex deity in Norse mythology. He would become Hell's concubine, a realm fraught with the shades and echoes of the ethereal, a haunting dimension. This would make up Dingvi's post-mortal existence. Amidst the realms of myth and legend, Dingvi's legacy persisted through the lineage he left behind, 
his son Dag, would bear the weight of the ancestral torch, carrying forth the legacy of Uppsala into the ever-shifting currents of time and destiny. As chronicled in the Yingling Saga, the reign of King Digvi found its echo in his son Dag, a ruler distinguished not only by the weight of his crown, but by wisdom so profound that it transcended the barriers of human understanding. For King Dag could speak the language of birds and commune with them as he would with a fellow human being. In the court of King Dag was a sparrow. This avian emissary wove a narrative that reached the farthest corners of the known world. Yet, the fateful flight of the sparrow would lead it to the land of the Goths, where an unwitting peasant, perturbed by the grain-thieving trespasser, sealed the bird's fate with a single stone, killing it. The absence of the sparrow would make King Dag grow sad and angry. Fueled by a desire for retribution, he marshaled a formidable army and set sail to Goatland. Landing at the Varva, Dag and his men descended upon the land, leaving a trail of plunder and terror in their wake. The local populace, in the face of the marauding force, scattered like leaves before a storm. As the shadows lengthened and the victorious king returned to his waiting ships, an unforeseen twist of fate loomed on the horizon. A labouring thrall, unbidden and unforeseen, emerged from the shadows. With an unforgiving trajectory, he threw his crude hayfork at the king and pierced him. In an instant, Dag the wise king was unhorsed and his life extinguished. The victor turned vanquished by the hand of a humble thrall, and so a slave killed a king. With the curtain drawn on Dag's reign, his legacy passed into the hands of his son Agne. Agne, a revered warrior, etched his name into the chronicle of Uppsala's lineage. In the heat of a summer campaign, he led his formidable army into the heartlands of Finland, where the clash of swords and the echoes of battle would resound through the annals of time. The Finns rallied under the command of their chief Frosty. A monumental clash would ensue, the battleground bathed in the blood of the fallen, as Agne's strategic prowess prevailed. Frosty, the chief of the Finns, met his demise along with many of his kin, and the spoils of war fell into the hands of the victorious Swedish king. Among the captives were Frosty's daughter, Skjalf, and her kinsman Logi. Agne, laden not only with the spoils of victory, but with the responsibility of forging a new chapter in the tapestry of his conquest, returned to Sweden. Skjalf, the daughter of the fallen chief, approached Agne with a request to honour her late father Frosty with a grand feast. In an act of grace, Agne agreed, extending invitations far and wide to assemble a host of illustrious guests at his regal abode. Amidst the merriment, 
a drinking competition unfolded. Agne, the valiant warrior king, would succumb to the intoxicating brew. Seizing the opportune moment, Skajalf approached Agne, her eyes fixed on a treasured heirloom, the talk of his great-great-great-grandfather Visbur. With cunning persuasion, she implored Agne to safeguard the ancestral neck ring, binding it securely around his neck as he slumbered beneath his royal tent. As the night wore on, Skajalf, fueled by vengeance, took a rope and deftly fastened it to the talk. With a heavy heart but a resolute purpose, she signalled her men to pull the rope, and the talk became an instrument of fate. Agne was now suspended in the stillness of a traitorous night, and he met his end beneath the leafy canopy that had witnessed both his triumphs and his final betrayal. With the dawn, Skajalf and her retinue swiftly retreated to the waiting ships, charting a course for the sanctuary of Finland. Agne's legacy was interwoven with the strands of tragedy and deceit. His crown would pass into the hands of his sons, Alaric and Eric. In the intricate tapestry of the Yingling saga, the mantle of kingship passed to the worthy shoulders of Alaric and Eric, the sons of the late King Agne. These royal brothers excelled not only in the art of war, but also in the area of sportsmanship. However, it was their prowess as skilled horsemen that became the focal point of their rivalry. One fateful day, Alaric and Eric ventured away from their retinue into an area unknown. Their absence, initially dismissed as a temporary excursion, transformed into an ominous void. The dread of uncertainty was eclipsed by a grim discovery. Both brothers lay lifeless, their heads marred by violence. A tale whispered in hushed tones and etched into the collective consciousness was that it was believed that the brothers, entangled in a heated disagreement, had succumbed to the ultimate tragedy. The brothers killed each other, inflicting mortal wounds upon one another, with the very bridal bits that once symbolised their shared mastery of horsemanship. With Alaric and Eric's untimely demise, the spectre of fate ushered in a new era, guided by the hands of their successors. Ingvi and Alf, sons of Alaric, stepped forward to inherit the legacy of their forebears. Ingvi was a monarch adorned with the laurels of accomplishment. He stood as a towering figure, a formidable warrior, and an unwavering victor in battle. His generosity, infectious happiness, and sociable demeanour rendered him not only loved, but also renowned far and wide. Beside this radiant sovereign stood Alf, a king of a different hue, unsociable and stern, choosing the hearth over the pillaging of foreign lands. Yet, in the recess of his abode, Alf 
found solace in the company of Bera, his spouse, a woman whose demeanour sparkled with joy and alertness, a beacon of lovability in Alf's stern world. The turning point arrived in the autumn haze, as Ingvi returned to Uppsala, his name echoing in the winds of a triumphant Viking expedition. The Mead Hall, a crucible of celebration, saw Ingvi drinking from curved horns until the early hours. It was during one such evening that the envious Alf, driven by jealousy, witnessed an intimate exchange between Ingvi and his wife Berra upon the high seat. Under the cloak of shadows, Alf, wielding a sword hidden from prying eyes, approached the scene. Ingvi, in the heat of the moment, remained oblivious on the impending betrayal. In an instant, Alf unsheathed his weapon and thrust it through Ingvi's form. Mortally wounded, Ingvi summoned an indomitable spirit and rose from his seat, drawing out his own short sword. In a tragic dance of blades, Ingvi avenged himself, and Alf lay defeated at the hands of his once beloved brother. Ingvi, however, was mortally wounded, and both brothers died there in the Mead Hall. Jorund, the son of Ingvi, would ascend to the throne, inheriting a legacy marked by both the splendour of accomplishment and the dark shadows of betrayal. The youth of Jorund unfolded against a backdrop of sea raids and pillaging, where the tides of destiny intertwined with the fate of his brother Eric. As comrades in arms, the brothers traversed the seas, earning renown as formidable warriors. Yet, the wheel of fate would soon turn as they faced the brutal sea king Haki in a war that would alter the course of their destiny. In the height of battle, Eric fell to the relentless blade of Haki, forcing Jorund into a strategic retreat. Although Haki succumbed to mortal wounds, his demise cast a shadow over the triumph. With Jorund's demise, the mantle of kingship passed to his son Aun, who would inherit a realm shaped by the complex interplay of vengeance, conquest, and the eternal rhythm of the sea. Reigning from the sovereign seat in Uppsala, King Aun emerged as a paragon of wisdom, renowned for his sacrificial tributes to the gods. Aun, however, harboured a disposition averse to warfare, seeking solace in the pursuit of peace. However, the tranquility of his reign was shattered when the Danish prince Halfdan launched an assault defeating Aun in a fateful encounter. In the wake of this defeat, Aun sought refuge in West Gothland, where he remained hidden for a quarter century. His sanctuary endured until the natural demise of Halfdan in Uppsala. Aun would retake his ancestral seat, now aged 60. Desiring an extended lifespan due to his wasted years in hiding, Aun embarked on a desperate covenant with Odin, sacrificing his own son with the promise of 60 more years of life. Yet, the relentless march of time brought forth new challenges. 
Halfton's cousin, Ael the Strong, emerged as a formidable adversary, compelling Aoun to flee once again to West Gothland after losing several battles. Ael the Strong would assume dominion in Uppsala for another 25 years, echoing the cycling nature of Aoun's turbulent history. Upon Ael the Strong's demise, Aoun, undeterred by the ghosts of his past, returned to Uppsala once more. The practice of sacrificing sons resumed, guided by Odin's decree that each sacrifice should be commemorated with the naming of a Swedish province. As Aoun went to sacrifice his seventh son, the ravages of time had manifested. Once a vigorous king, he was now frail and unable to walk. Subsequent sacrifices further diminished his physical vigour, rendering him bedridden. By the eighth son he had sacrificed, he was now unable to eat on his own, and had to be fed like a child through a drinking horn. With the desire to sacrifice his tenth and final son, Aoun faced resistance from his subjects. He was denied this grim rite, and he would succumb to mortality finding eternal rest in a mound at Uppsala. The sombre legacy of Aoun's sickness persisted, and his last son Egil inherited a kingdom steeped in the echoes of a dark and enduring tradition. From that day forward, passing away peacefully in bed of old age would become known as Aoun's sickness. As recounted by Snorri Sturluson, Egil, the son of Aoun the Old, inherited a disposition that echoed his forebear's reluctance for warfare. His reign unfolded against a backdrop of a tumultuous power struggle, particularly when his thrall Tunni was entrusted with his treasury and turned against him. The clash of wills escalated into a conflict spanning eight battles that ultimately forced Egil to seek refuge in Denmark. In his hour of need, Frodi, the benevolent Danish king, extended his support, aligning forces with Egil to quell the rebellion led by Tunni. The collaboration proved successful, securing victory for Egil and solidifying his reign with Danish aid. However, fate would steer Egil towards an unexpected demise. During the solemn sacrifices at Uppsala, he met a tragic end, being fatally struck by a bull. In the wake of Egil's reign, the mantle of kingship passed to his son Othir. According to the Yngling saga, Othir found himself entangled in a dispute with the Danish king Frodi over unpaid tribute, an echo of the conflicts that marked his father's era. Refusing to yield to Frodi's demand for payment, Othir stood firm asserting that the Swedes had never bowed to Danish tribute and would not commence with him. In response, Frodi marshaled a formidable host and unleashed it upon Sweden. Seizing the opportune moment, Othir, learning of Frodi's absence, sailed to Denmark to reciprocate the affront, initiating a campaign that saw him plundering several districts. The tide, however, would turn against Othir when Frodi's jaws, augmented by the common people, launched an attack on him 
and his forces. In the ensuing clash, Othir met his demise, and his lifeless form was placed upon a mount, left to the mercy of ravenous wild beasts. The Danes, victorious and vindictive, fashioned a wooden crow, a symbolic mockery of Othir's worth, and sent it to Sweden. This bitter message bore testament to the fate of Othir, now known as Vendel Crow. In this intricate tapestry of conflict and scorn, Othir's legacy bore the weight of a saga that unfolded amid the clashes of kingdoms and the lingering echoes of vengeance. Eadgild, the successor of his father Othir, ascended to the throne, steering the course of his reign through the turbulent waters of war and destiny. His first foray led him into conflict with the Saxons. Venturing beyond the borders of his realm, Eadgils also waged war with King Ali of Opland in Norway. The battleground was set on the icy expanse of Lake Vanern, where the clash between the rulers unfolded in a grand and fateful spectacle. In this fierce confrontation, King Ali met his demise, succumbing to Eadgil's stature and ability with the sword. After this, Eadgil was more beloved by the gods and renowned among his people, for he was the vanquisher of kings. However, one fateful day while riding his horse around the Disa shrine, a sacred site dedicated to a female deity entwined with the threads of fate. While riding his horse, Eadgil stumbled. Casting the king forward, his skull met the unyielding surface of a stone. In an instant, the great ruler known for his prowess, wisdom, and favour of the gods faced a tragic end. Eadgil found his final resting place in the sacred grounds of Uppsala, leaving behind a legacy tinged with both the glory of triumphant battles and the echoes of an untimely demise. Following the footsteps of his father Eadgils, Aestain ascended to the throne as King of Sweden. Yet, his reign unfolded during a tumultuous era, marred by the relentless raids of sea kings, with one notable figure named Solv rising to prominence. During this troubled time, Solv, a formidable sea king, embarked on pillaging expeditions along the Swedish shores, casting a shadow over the kingdom. In a moment that would be etched in history, Solv directed his maritime exploits towards King Aestain's realm. As Aestain reveled in a feast, Solv and his warriors encircled the royal residence, setting it ablaze and condemning all within to a fiery demise. Following this ruthless act, Solv, now in command, demanded the Swedes acknowledge him as their king. Refusing to bow to foreign rule, the Swedes rallied their forces, engaging in a valiant but ultimately unsuccessful 11-day struggle against Solv and his warriors. The Swedes, compelled by defeat, begrudgingly accepted Solv as their king, a dominion that persisted until a rebellion unfolded, resulting in Solv's demise at the hands of his new subjects. Amidst this tumultuous sequence of events, the Swedes turned to Aestain's son Ingvar, 
to fill the void left by Solve's demise, heralding a new chapter in the kingdom's leadership. The legacy of Aestain, found continually in the formidable reign of his son Ingvar, a formidable warrior who etched his name into the annals of greatness. Renowned for his martial prowess, Ingvar devoted much of his time to patrolling the coastal realms of his kingdom, engaging in relentless battles against both the Danes and the Estonian Vikings. After a prolonged period of warfare, Ingvar seeking respite, negotiated a peace agreement with the Danes. However, his tranquility proved short-lived, as Ingvar harbouring grievances against the Estonian Vikings opted for retribution, initiating a campaign of pillaging in Estonia. However, King Ingvar would face overwhelming forces and succumbed to defeat, marking a sombre chapter in the Swedish military history. His final resting place, a mound near the shores of Estonia, known as Stone or Hillfort, became a witness to his valiant but untimely tragic end. These events are thought to have occurred in the early 7th century. The mantle of kingship, passed down through the lineage, fell upon Ingvar's son Anund. This line, traversing through generations, eventually led to the illustrious King Harald Fairhair, the first monarch to unify Norway. Yet, Ingvar's legacy extended beyond the confines of the Norwegian throne because Ingvar also had a second son, named Sigwardus, otherwise known as Skira Ingvarsson, or the son of Ingvar. His son in turn was Raddabar, a legendary king of Galdavendi, an old Norse term used in the Middle Ages for the land of the Rus. In a saga steeped in legend, Raddabar, a figure of mythic proportions, embarked on a union with the fugitive princess, Aldur the Deep-Minded. She was a legendary princess and the daughter of Ivar Vidfamne, a semi-legendary king of Sweden. She sought refuge in the arms of Raddabar, defying the wishes of her father. The clandestine marriage unfolded without the consent of the disapproving king Ivar, who, in a twist of fate, set out to apprehend his daughter. However, Destiny took an unforeseen turn, and King Ivar met his demise en route to confront his daughter. The unresolved tension between father and daughter thus concluded in the shadow of Ivar's untimely death. From the union of Raddabar and Aoudr emerged a legacy embodied in their son, Randavar. He inherited the mantle of his legendary forebears and ascended to the throne succeeding his father after his eventual demise. The tapestry of this saga wove together threads of love, defiance and regal succession. According to several Norse sagas, Randver was the offspring of Raddabar and Aoudr the Deep-Minded, herself the daughter of the Swedish ruler Ivar Vidfamne. In the rich narrative of these sources, Aoudr had previously given birth to Harald Wartooth, Randver's half-brother from a different marriage. This complex familial dynamic 
added layers to Randever's character, portraying him as a warlike monarch, destined for legendary feats. As the saga unfolded, the legendary king met his fateful end during raids in England, a testament to his martial prowess and daring nature. Despite the conclusion of Randever's journey, his legacy endured through his son, Sigurd Ring, a name that would resonate through the corridors of Nordic history. Sigurd Ring, a figure veiled in the tapestry of legendary sagas, stands as a monarch of the Swedes. His tale, woven into the ancient fabric of Scandinavian lore. According to these sources, Sigurd ascended to rulership as a vassal king under his uncle, Harald Wartooth, who, feeling the weight of age, bestowed upon Sigurd the realm of Upland. As the years wore on, Harald, aged an extraordinary 150 years, sought a regal end in battle, challenging Sigurd to meet him on the field. Responding to the call, Sigurd marshalled the forces from Sweden and Norway, leading his troops across land and sea to the plain of Bravelir. There, the colossal battle of Bravelir unfolded. In the desperate wake of combat, Sigurd emerged victorious, and his uncle Harald met his end by being bludgeoned to death. Sigurd Ring's dominion expanded as he assumed rulership not only over Sweden, but also over Denmark. His union with Afhild, the daughter of King Gandalf Egerson of Afhelm, bore fruit in the form of a son named Ragnar Lothbrok, destined for his own saga of renown. As the sands of time flowed, the sagas recount the loss of territory in England due to Sigurd's advance of old age. Regrettably, the saga of Sigurd Ring, once woven into the lore, has been lost to the annals of time, leaving only echoes of its narrative. According to the Gesta Danorum, Sigurd met his ultimate fate in a civil war against his cousin, with both warriors falling in the thaws of the conflict. Ragnar Lothbrok, Sigurd's son, stepped forth to inherit the mantle, emerging as arguably the most illustrious Viking in the lineage of Odin. Thus, Sigurd Ring's legacy unfolded through battles, alliances, and the passage of time, leaving an indelible mark on the epic saga of the Norse world. Ragnar is featured in numerous sources, such as the tale of Ragnar Lothbrok, the tale of Ragnar's sons, the Heimskringla, the Gesta Danorum, and the Cracklemail, just to name a few. His presence echoes through the annals of Old Norse poetry from the Viking Age, resonating in the verses of Icelandic sagas and the pages of near-contemporary chronicles. The legendary figure known as Ragnar springs to life in the rich tapestry of traditional literature, where he carved a distinctive legacy through audacious raids spanning the British Isles and much of the known world at the time. Ragnar's saga extends beyond the confines of mere historical accounts. It intertwines with Norse legends that paint a vivid picture on his daring exploits. 
His ventures transcended geographical boundaries, thrusting him into conflicts against the kings of Asia Minor and stretching as far as the Emerald Isles of Ireland. The magnitude of Ragnar's renown is such that it fuels speculation among historians, the enormity of his exploits, spanning vast distances and involving clashes with powerful rulers, leads some scholars to entertain the notion that Ragnar may have been more than a singular individual. The mythic aura surrounding him, woven from the threads of sagas and poetry, elevates his status to a legendary scale, inviting contemplation on whether Ragnar was an embodiment of a collective heroic archetype rather than a solely historical figure. He was truly favoured by his ancestor Odin, who conquered the North all those generations ago. If you want to see more on Ragnar's life, check out the video in the description below. The video will also cover another descendant of Odin, Harald Fairhair, the first king of a united Norway. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, be sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.